where we kind of talk about a question for the evening. And we kind of sit around in our tables and we talk about it and we kind of see what each other thinks and, and get to know each other a little bit. Tonight we're going to do that just a little bit differently. Tonight I want to ask you a question and I want you to talk to me. I want you to give me your feedback and what you think uh, as we talk about this for a few seconds and then we're going to get into uh, the message for tonight. So the question uh, for tonight is this. What questions come to your mind or what questions have you been asked concerning the Holy Spirit? Now, a lot of people talk about God the Father, God the Son, but a lot of times we forget about God the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a whole book on it by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. And so as we look at the Holy Spirit tonight and the gift of the Holy Spirit, what are some of the questions that you've had about the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, or what questions have you been asked by people or stances that people have put out before you? We just want to have some open dialogue. Throw it out to me. No wrong answers. We just want to get different things so that we can address them tonight. What is it? What is it? What is the Holy Spirit? What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? Great question. We're going to answer that one tonight. Something else. What is it paranormal? What is talking in tongues? Okay, there's a big one. A lot of people uh, uh, have had different opinions about that. What is speaking in tongues? Is that real? Is it fake? Is it true? Is it not? Is it of the devil? Have you heard that? Some people say, speaking in tongues is of the devil. You ever heard that one? I've heard that one before. Is it like a paranormal activity too? Is it paranormal activity? Am I possessed by the Holy Spirit? Which doesn't necessarily... How could that really be a bad thing? Does somebody else have their hand up? Yeah. Whether you're baptized in the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian or if it's a separate act. Good. Good question. Do you... Are you filled with the Holy Spirit when you get saved? Or is there a separate experience, a second experience that happens afterwards or can happen afterwards? Another great question. Who can get it? Who can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Very good. Good question. Is it just in heaven or is it also for us while we're down here? Okay. Interesting question. Good one. What was another one? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What does He do? Why is He important? Do we really even need to talk about this? Can I see it? Can I see it? What else? Good. A lot of questions. Yeah? Why does everyone focus on tongues and not the other gifts? Why does everybody focus on tongues and not the other spiritual gifts? That's a good question. Something else? Is He a person? Is He a person? Or is he just an it, an influence? Anyone else? Good questions. It's funny how we seem to know so much about Jesus, but nothing about the Holy Spirit. We said that last week, if you remember. Quinn? Like, is it a one-time thing, or like, are you filled and then there's nothing, or do you have to keep doing something? Very good question. Is it one time, or does it happen continually? How does this work? Good questions. Michael? Is it prophetic worship? Can it be prophetic worship? A lot of good questions. All right, I'm going to do what I can to try to answer a lot of these questions tonight by looking at Scripture. Because, guys, there's a lot of people who have a lot of different opinions about this guest, 
about this person, this comforter, this counselor, the Holy Spirit. But we shouldn't be listening to the opinions of man, including me. And you hear me? What we need to base our doctrine on, our theology on, is the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Because the Bible, we all believe, many of us in this room, if you many who call themselves Christians, will stand on the fact that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. That it is the rule. It's the standard. And that's where we go for our answers. So, I'm going to try and answer all your questions tonight. And I'm going to try to do this in lightning fast speed. Okay? I give you my word that I'm going to go as fast as I can. Okay? And, and if it takes me long, it's just because there's that much cool stuff to talk about the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, when I sit down with a student, one-on-one, and we talk about the Holy Spirit, it usually takes about two hours, I'm not going to go that long, to talk about this because there's that much stuff in the Bible about this. Alright? It's just that prevalent. And so, if I don't have all your questions answered, if, if you don't have everything satisfied by the end of tonight, that's okay. I want you to know that you can call me, you can text me, we'll set up a time to get together. You can ask me anything that you want that I didn't answer because the answers are in here. They are in the Word of God. And there are answers for your questions. So I want to ask you, please, tonight, to open up your heart, open up your mind, examine the Scriptures with me, and see what the Bible teaches about the person of the Holy Spirit and the gift that He brings to us. Cool? Awesome. All right. Each of you on uh, your table will have in front of you a little handout. I gave this to you as a guide, just in case we don't get to everything tonight. It kind of gives you a layout of different things that we're going to be talking about. Sometimes it's easier to understand things when we can visualize them, when we just have to uh, kind of try to believe them without anything being said. So, tonight we're going to be talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is something I'm really excited about because literally this can be something that will revolutionize and change your spiritual life. It will empower you to live for God like never before. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 49, it says this. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You, you are witnesses of these things. I, Jesus is talking, am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay here, stay in the city, until you have been clothed with power from on high. What is this gift that the Father promised? This promise from on high is to be able to boldly share the good news of what Jesus has done for us. It's what some call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. On my first missions trip, my first bold attempt to tell people uh, about Jesus, I was 15 years old. 
And I went on a missions trip to inner city Chicago. It was absolutely terrifying. I was uh, a very skinny, very small white boy from Fargo, North Dakota. And I had traveled 14 hours to downtown inner city Chicago. I'm talking Robert Taylor Projects, Cabrini Green, both of which were so awful, they have now raised them to the ground. They have destroyed that whole area because it was such a hole. It was such a mess. And these, these places were gang-ridden. There were these gangster disciples. That's what they were called, the GDs. The other ones were the Mickey Cobras, the MCs. They hated each other. And they would fight all the time. There were times I would go out on the bus and I would see these guys and all of a sudden this crowd would just run after this kid and just jump on him and get, begin to beat him down. I mean, just right there in front of everybody. They didn't even care. I remember this pastor who was working there, he looked at me and he said, Get down! What? You know, I like hit the floor. And I see this pastor, this man of God, come running out of this bus. And he's got huge forearms. And his name was Pastor Paul. And Pastor Paul goes running at this group of gangsters and just flails out, arms open wide, and just takes out like four of them and knocks them down to the ground. And like grabs this kid and pulls him out and rescues him. And I remember, this is before, so this is the first, that's not the first day, that's like day four, okay? But the first day, I remember standing there, and my youth pastor was a very wise man. We were getting ready, and we had this morning quiet time, this devotional time before we went out. He said, now guys, I know some of you are absolutely terrified to go out and tell people about Jesus today. But I want to tell you, you do not have to be afraid. Jesus promised a gift to anybody who wants it, a gift of power to be bold in your faith and in your witness so that you can go out there and not be afraid of the world and share your faith boldly and openly with people. You can receive that gift right now if you want it before we head out. Does anybody want to? And I was like... <laughs> Yes, I would like both I can. I don't want it all. Please, yes. I am terrified. And he says, all right, those of you guys who want to receive this, I want you to come forward. And I want you to begin to fall in love with Jesus. I just want you to begin to worship him and praise him and call out to him. I want you to draw near to Jesus. And so I just began to worship God. Father, I thank you. I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. I love you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for saving me. Lord, I need your courage. I need your boldness. I know you brought me here to be a light, to be a witness to these people, and I'm scared, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. And I don't want to wimp out on you, God. I don't want to be like Peter and deny that I know you. I don't want to be scared. I need your help. I need your power. I need your your, your grace. I need your, your glory. Help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And as he came by, my pastor came by, and he laid hands on me and began to pray for me. And he just said, Joshua, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And like that, I immediately stopped praising God in English and just began to speak in a language I'd never heard before. I just began to praise Him, just like I was. But it was in this language I'd never heard. And I began to feel this power surge inside of me. I began to feel this joy and this passion this hunger for God like I've never had before. I was so hungry for the Word of God. I was so excited to go out and tell people about Jesus. And I had all the courage I needed. And I went out 
literally in these streets, in these three big project areas, we were doing these dramas, these human videos where we like acted out a skit to music. And I played Jesus, and we had like fake blood and the whole nine yards. Like it was a really big deal. And there's this part where they literally like I was playing Jesus, so they like crucified me on this cross that we brought right down there in the middle of everybody. And they like ripped this robe off me and everything. So like I am literally standing there in like a diaper in front of like gangsters with guns and people. And I was absolutely fine. And even in the moment when Pastor Paul tackled those guys, I had faith to believe that God was going to protect us. And I was like, that has got to be power to cause a man to run out there and, and at risk of his own life to save someone. It was beautiful. So that was my experience. Many of you guys are going to be going to Carroll in a few weeks, and you're going to be experiencing similar situations. Towns that are riddled with poverty, and, and they need hope, they need help. They need people like you to be brave in your faith and witness and share what God has done inside of you with them. And you can do it. And the Holy Spirit's here to help. So, that was a unique experience for me where I was just praying and I was just falling in love with Jesus. I knew I needed it. I was desperate for it. I really was hungry. And God answered my prayer. Bam! Like that. Instantly. But that doesn't always happen for people. In fact, there's others I've known who've genuinely struggled to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this gift. Maybe some of you here today are in that place, and and because of that, many people have therefore written it off as unimportant or unnecessary or no longer possible. There's lots of different reasons they give to it. One person I read about said that they were raised in church and that they believed in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And though they really wanted it, they didn't receive it for seven years. They were crying out to God. He was what some people refer to as a chronic seeker. He said that it wasn't until he reached a point of absolute desperation for what only the Spirit could provide that he finally received. And there's a number of reasons why I believe that it takes some people a really long time to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But much of the problem is misunderstanding. By understanding certain facts about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, I believe people can receive it much, much sooner, if not immediately, this promised gift from the Father for all who believe and have surrendered their lives to Jesus. I believe the rest of the problem is a lack of willingness. It's a lack of willingness to surrender completely to the Holy Spirit, to give Him full possession of who we are, You remember last week, that's what we talked about. You see, last week was kind of a precursor for this. Last week we talked about who's in control here anyway. We talked about, are you the one still in control of your life, or does the Holy Spirit have full control of who you are? Does your flesh still own you and run you, and you give this little tiny piece to God every once in a while? And I think many of you, many of you came to me last week and said, God wrecked you last week. And really challenge you about some stuff in your life that you need to get rid of so that you can focus more on God. And I hope you've had an incredible week. Probably, it was really hard. And you know what? That's good. Do you know why? Because the enemy's mad at you. Let me tell you something. If your life is comfortable, if you don't have any opposition, you must not be doing anything that needs to be opposed. 
And when you get up and you tell the enemy, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm not going to be controlled by my flesh. I'm not going to be controlled by my fears or, or my failures. I am going to give all of my life, all of myself to Jesus, to His Spirit. And I want Him to fill, me, uh, I want him to fill me with His power so that I can live a life boldly for Him and share my faith with other people. Now, don't you think that would make the enemy a little mad? Don't you think he would try and pull out all the stops and say, okay, um, he's serious now. Somebody, uh, get him. Get him. Stop that. Send anything. Make him fail his test. Make his girlfriend break up with him. I don't care. Just get his mind off of Jesus, please. Right? So the first thing we want to talk about is the purpose of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Many times, people want the Holy Spirit, but they want it for the wrong reason. They want it simply so they can say that they got it. You see, they see the baptism as this point of arrival. Check me out. Look at me. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I can talk in tongues. Woo! Look at me. I'm awesome. And it's totally wrong. It's not about you. It's not a point of arrival. It is a point of entrance into an expanded life of the Holy Spirit moving inside of you, into a life of Spirit-empowered witness for Jesus. It's not a goal. It's a, it's a gateway into more of what God has for you. To fully understand the significance of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we have to remember Luke and Acts are actually a two-volume set. Okay? So there's Luke, and then there's Acts, which is Luke 2. Alright? Are you following me? It's like the movie that came out last summer. It's the one after the one before it. Okay? So it's this two-volume work about concerning the lives of Jesus and His followers. So we read the end of Luke just now. Luke 24, at the very end, Jesus is saying goodbye. Okay? He's risen from the dead and He's come down to His followers and He's been with them for 40 days showing Himself to be alive. And it's about to be ascended into heaven. And he looks at his people and he says, All right, listen. I'm going away now. All right? I'm going to be leaving. Anytime here. So pay attention. Because these are my last words to you. Stay here. And wait for the gift that I'm going to send you from my Father. So that you can be bold witnesses for me and preach about what has just happened. You are my witnesses to these things, to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all people of all nations, beginning right here in Jerusalem. Okay? And so in Acts, we see the continuation of that. If you have a Bible, I'd love it if you would turn to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, you're going to find a really, really cool story. The continuation of what had happened at the end of Luke, if I can get there. Acts 1, verse 1. This is Luke writing. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, who's his buddy, wouldn't you love to have a friend named Theophilus? He had so much fun. He probably just called him Theo. I don't know. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs 
that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. These are the words of Jesus. So, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And just like the disciples, who can never pay attention very long, they are not even listening to what he's saying. And they're like, God, you're here, you rose from the dead, you're awesome! Are you going to restore Israel now? Is this the time we're going to go get them, kill the Romans, let's do it! And he's like, guys, like grabbing their face, like, focus! Look at me, alright? And he says, it's not for you to know the days and the times that are set by the Lord and His own authority. If you read on, you'll see that's exactly what he says. It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father is set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will go back, will come back, excuse me, in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. These are the very last words of Jesus. Stay here until you receive this gift that I'm going to send you to give you power to be my witnesses. Jesus clearly stated that the essential purpose of the Spirit's empowerment is to be His witness. To tell people about who He is and what He's done. That's why we want it. It has nothing to do with tongues. We want it for the power that it will give to each of us to be bold in our faith. March 4th is coming very soon. And I know that it terrifies some of you to even think about handing out a little purple piece of paper to somebody else because it's a Christian event. Oh, God, give me boldness. I'm scared they're going to reject me. <laughs> yeah. I know friends who wanted to witness about Jesus and they were so terrified to give somebody a track that they used to go to the bathroom and unroll the toilet paper and stick it up in the toilet paper and then roll the toilet paper back up. Wow. So that the next person who came in there would unroll the toilet paper and the track would fall out and they could learn about Jesus. Ew. That's all I got to say. Okay. Like, really, would you really want to pick that up off the floor? You know, I mean, people are nervous. They're scared to share their faith for whatever reason. God sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for you to save you from hell. And we are too scared to share that message with anybody else. But God, Lord Jesus, knew we would have trouble. And so He sent help in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptism is a gift for all believers. These are some of the verses that we read. Luke 24, Acts 1, Acts 2 is where we're going. The Holy Spirit is a gift to all believers. But receiving the gift is not a guarantee that the promised power will be used for its intended purpose. Jumping over to chapter 2. In chapter 2 of Acts, the disciples thank the Lord 
finally listened and obeyed what Jesus told him to do. Now, Jesus died. He had the, the, the Passover meal. The Last Supper was during Passover. Okay? He was then arrested and crucified, and he was dead for three days. It says, after he arose, he showed himself to people for a period of 40 days. Okay? So, 43 days total so far. Alright? Then, it says in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, and Pentecost is just a simple word of saying 50. 50 days after Passover. Okay? So from the time he left, 43 days later, or after Passover, to the time when the Spirit was poured out was seven days. It was a week. Okay? So the disciples had gone to Jerusalem. They had stayed there and waited and prayed and sought God for seven days to be filled with this power, to receive this gift that Jesus was going to send them. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came in from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that we each hear them talking in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from from Rome. And in verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? I don't know if you've ever heard somebody speak in tongues or prayer, pray in a prayer language. It's a little weird. In fact, it's flat out a lot weird. And it's not new. It's been weird since the beginning. Even when it fell on the disciples, the people were amazed and perplexed. What does that mean? They were shocked. And they were so overwhelmed by it, they didn't know how else to explain it but just to say, they got to be drunk or something. I don't know what's going on with them. And that's what they describe it as. So that's what they say. Look in verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said they had had too much wine. But then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Who gets drunk at nine o'clock in the morning? Besides pack a fan. No, I'm just kidding. On Sundays, oh, did I go there? I'm sorry, don't hate me. I'm just kidding. I'm sure other teams do too. He says, no, they are not drunk. This is what was spoken about by the prophet Joel. And he quotes the prophet Joel from earlier in Scripture. And it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
He talks about some things that are going to come at the end of the world. And then in verse 23, he says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then, Peter breaks out into the gospel. He breaks out into this sermon, and he starts preaching about Jesus. And the people are so overwhelmed by what he says that they are terrified. If you jump over to verse 36... It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom our Lord our God will call. With many other words, He warned them. See, Peter was long-winded too. Peter, Paul, Josh. Okay, we're all right. With many other words, He warned them and He pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted His message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is a pretty good first sermon. Remember Peter. Because everybody thinks of Peter as this great, phenomenal disciple. The disciple that the church was built on. All this stuff. In case you forgot, Peter was the guy who when things got hard, when things got rough, he bailed. He ran away like a little girl. He was so scared. Well, okay, there's some girls who wouldn't run away. I'll say it this way. He was so afraid, he couldn't even stand up to a little girl at the fire outside the courtyard. He said, hey, I know you. You're that guy, Peter. You're with Jesus. No, no, it wasn't me. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was you. I saw you there. I saw you with him. Dude, I'm telling you, it wasn't me. You got the wrong guy. I have a twin. It wasn't me. He says, no, it was you. I know it was you. You can walk it. And he swears. He actually says, I swear I don't know what you're talking about. I've never met this man before. And the rooster crows. And he denies him three times. If you look at scripture, it actually says that he met eyes with Jesus. And see, the thing is, is even if he could have hid it from everybody else, he knew Jesus knew what he did. And it destroyed him. And he was so broken. He just he wanted to die. He felt so awful. But then Jesus, He comes back to life and He gives Peter the second chance. And you find the story where, where Peter is, is sitting on the, the beach with Jesus and they're having eggs and fish and whatever else. Probably not eggs, I'm just making that up. But they're, they're eating breakfast, it says, on the beach. And Jesus comes to Peter and He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. And he's like, I'm on a beach. <laughs> I don't see any sheep. What are you talking about? So he waits. Jesus comes again. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. I feed my sheep. <laughs> Peter, yes. Yes, Lord. Do you love me, Lord? You know all things. You know that I love you. I feed my sheep. Now, why? Why would he ask him that three times? I don't know. Maybe because he denied him three times. 
He's reinstating him, calling him back, giving him purpose. And all I know is this, that this man, who was so terrified he couldn't even stand up and admit that he knew who Jesus was, seconds, moments after he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, was standing up in front of thousands and boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point where people were cut to the heart and cried out, what must I do to be saved? And 3,000 people got saved in a moment. That's power, guys. That's why Jesus said, stay here and wait. Because I want to give you something to help you to be a witness. Are you tracking with me? Following with me so far? Alright, i got to keep going. We're never going to get out of here. Now it says, just because the person has received this gift is not a promise that they're going to use it for its intended purpose. Now does that mean that every person who's received the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to be the world's greatest evangelist? No, unfortunately not. Why? Because some people, even though they have the gift, will refuse to use it for what it's for. They don't understand what it's for. And so they don't use it. Let me show you a quick picture here. It's a great one. 95% of all SUVs sold in the U.S. are never taken off-road. Do you see what I'm trying to say with that? (laughs) There are a lot of Christians who've been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet they never use it for its intended purpose. It's not that they don't have the power. It's not that they can't do what they think they can do. They just don't. And so some people look and they say, well, I see your spirit-filled church and it's struggling and there's nobody there. You say you got the power of God and that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. How come your church isn't growing? Because it's still up to people to open their mouth and use the gift that God has given them. And if you're going to hush your mouth and keep quiet and not stand up and be a witness for Jesus, it doesn't matter whether or not the power is inside of you. If you refuse to let it out, things will not change. You still have to be faithful with the power that you've been given. With great power comes great responsibility. That was for you, Chris. Jesus' promise to His followers was that they would be His witnesses wherever they went. Unfortunately, many equate being a witness Merely with your speech, or what has come to be termed as witnessing, verbally, sharing their faith. But effectiveness in reaching the spiritually lost requires a witness that is beyond words. It requires genuine love. It requires real compassion and power. Do you have trouble loving other people? Are there people that just downright drive you crazy? Yeah. That guy next to me in my algebra class or whatever. The power of the Holy Spirit will not just give you boldness to share your faith. It will give you the courage to love people well. To love them genuinely. To be able to forgive other people when they hurt you and despitefully use you. It's going to give you help and hope in all these different ways. Paul wrote this to the church in Thessalonica. It says, Our gospel, the good news, came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Paul's witness was not merely what he said, but also how he said it and who he was. You see, the Holy Spirit empowers our witness in what we say. 
Just like He did for the New Testament Christians on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gives us the internal motivation to speak about Jesus, confident in the Spirit's convincing work. Early Christians prayed for that kind of help. A couple chapters later in Acts 4, verse 29, it says this, Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is the help Jesus promised that He would send from on high in Luke 24. They were crying out for it, God. Enable your servants to speak boldly. To speak your word with great boldness. So the Holy Spirit also helps us in how we speak. He moves us in our witness with a sincere love, a compelling passion. And the Holy Spirit also enables our character to become what God has called us to be as the fruit of the Spirit, the nature of Jesus Christ becomes evident in our lives. You see, this experience, guys, this gift that God has for you produces inside of you a greater hunger for the things of God. If you're having trouble spending time with God on a daily basis, this gift will help to put inside of you a deeper internal motivation, a hunger for God, and to spend time with Him like never before. It'll make you want to worship Him, to listen to Him. It'll give you a greater desire to live a a holy life that is pleasing to Him. It'll give you a greater hatred for sin and the things of this world. Now listen to me. It's not that you can't live this way without the gift of the Holy Spirit. Obviously you can. Yes, you can. You can do it without the Holy Spirit. It's just so much harder That's all I'm trying to say. It's that the gift of the Holy Spirit makes it that much easier when we completely yield our lives to Him. People accuse me sometimes of focusing too much on the Holy Spirit. They say, oh, you talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the center. Yes. Yes, He is. Jesus is the center. He's the Savior of my soul. He's my Lord and King. But Jesus said that He was going to send me the Holy Spirit to help me follow Him. That's the point. He sent it as a gift. It's a tool. It's a help to make your life and your job easier. Now, you can do it the hard way. I just don't understand why. Certain, you know, I just don't think you have to. You don't have to. And I'm going to tell you that you don't have to do it the hard way. You can, but you don't have to. The second thing I want to talk about is that Jesus is the baptizer. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That's what Luke says. Soon you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit of fire. And Jesus is the one who does that. Uh, he sends into heaven. We read that in Luke. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, God has raised this Jesus to life. Verse 32 and 33. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Guys, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Jesus is not on earth anymore. He's gone. He has ascended. He is sitting at the right hand side of the Father and He is desperately waiting to be allowed to come back 
to call His own, to call believers back to heaven with Him. But He has not left us alone. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you a helper, the Spirit of truth, a comforter, a counselor, the Holy Spirit. When you feel the presence of God in a room, when you feel the Spirit of God knocking at your door or your heart, challenging you, saying, you shouldn't be doing that. It's not Jesus the person, it's the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, convicting you. And when you invite God into your heart, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to dwell inside of you. So get me. When you decide, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus, I'm going to ask Him to forgive me of my sins, come into my life, wipe away my past, forgive me of my sins, make a way for me to have eternal life. When you receive Him into your heart, you are receiving the Holy Spirit inside of you. And He is doing a new work, a regenerating work. And that's why they call it being born again. Because your old life is dead. It's buried. And you have been born again to receive new life. Corinthians says, all things have passed, all the old has passed away. Behold, all things have been made new again. You're new. You're fresh. Clean. And that's the purpose of water baptism. Water baptism is a symbol that the old you has died and been buried and that it is left there. And as you come up out of the water, you are new, born again, fresh, a new creature. And in that life, God wants to give you the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You remember Matthew, uh, Matthew 3, chapter uh, 1, no, Matthew three eleven. As I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I. This is John the Baptist talking. Whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist is prophesying before Jesus even starts his ministry that this is what he's going to do for people. That's pretty phenomenal. Part of the problem people face when they seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that they are seeking an experience rather than seeking the person. And that is the problem that people are facing. Because when you seek for this experience, you need to shut the door on outside distractions and center your mind and your heart on Jesus. And He is the baptizer. He will fill you. That's His desire. That's His plan. It's His goal. Do you understand? And so... The problem is, is people, they're like this. They want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But the only thing they're thinking about, or the only thing that people have told them to think about, falsely, is to speak in tongues. Speak in tongues. It's going to be cool. Speak in tongues. Speak in tongues. And they stand there and they cry out for that. Oh God, let me speak in tongues. Please let me speak in tongues. I really, 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 really want to. <laughs> and it's so ridiculous. It's like being baptized in water. If you're being baptized in water, you don't have to stand there and go, Oh, God, let me get wet. Please, let me get wet. Really, 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 really want to get wet. Please, let me get wet. You're going to get wet. I'm sorry, it's just going to happen to you. The first initial physical evidence that you have been baptized in water is that you are soaking wet. And I am telling you that the sign in Scripture 
that the first initial evidence, the physical evidence that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you will speak in tongues. It's the sign that it's happened. It's not the point. It's the sign. You got it. It's not what you're going after. It's what you receive as a byproduct of what has occurred in your heart. Awesome. Let's keep going. The nature of the Spirit's empowerment. People often think of the Holy Spirit's empowerment in, only in terms of signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. But the tr- word translated power in Acts 1.8 is incredibly and wonderfully comprehensive. It simply means ability. And it applies in practical ways to everyday life. All of your life. Every part of your life. He's going to empower you. See, here's the thing. When you get saved, when you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit, like we just said, comes to live inside your heart. Right? Inside your spirit. And when that happens, it's like there's a match. Okay? That gets lit. And it burns. Fire. Living inside you. Okay? As an example. Now, people wonder, like, what is this whole fullness of the Holy Spirit? It's so, so mystical, so weird, so, so, so crazy. No, it's not. It's the same thing. It's just more. Okay? It's like, a, it's like a bonfire compared to a match. Okay? The match, the Spirit is alive and He's inside of you. And this is why I don't ever, ever, ever want to hear anyone ever say that you cannot get to heaven unless you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because that is absolutely false and not true. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are saved. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you at that moment. But God, Jesus Himself said, there's more. I have more for you. It's not different fire. It's not something weird or crazy. It's certainly not from the devil. It's more of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to fan into flame. I'm going to create inside of you this bonfire. What is a bonfire compared to a match? It's more. More light. More heat. More power. That's what it is. It's just more. More of the same thing. So that it can accomplish more. Does that make sense? You following me so far? Okay, good. The Holy Spirit supplies whatever it takes to help us accomplish what is needed. That's His job. That's His point. And that's all we really need. We need whatever it takes. The Holy Spirit enables ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. The power Jesus promises followers is for every aspect of Christian living, enabling us to do and be whatever our Lord has purposed in our life. The fourth thing is, the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's a gift. The Apostle Peter said that this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise is for every believer. It's for all, all, all. It keeps saying it over and over and over again. And in case you don't get it, they have all these different examples in Acts. One, two, three. There's five different examples of all these different people in all these different locations at all these different times receiving this gift because it's for everybody. Many people who are seeking the Holy Spirit baptism struggle with the belief or feeling that we have to be good enough 
to receive the gift. But friends, the Holy Spirit baptism cannot be earned. It's, it's not something that you can get good enough to receive. It's a gift from the Father. That's all. All you have to do is take it. It's just like salvation. Just take it. It's yours. That's what Jesus calls it. Every believer who has been saved by grace is qualified to receive this wonderful promise. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're qualified. You can have it. It's for you. If you haven't, you need to surrender to Jesus first. And then you can have this beautiful gift. Listen, the blood of Jesus cures us from the disease of sin. Personal battles of the flesh that you've wrestled with this whole last week cannot be won by our own efforts to prepare ourselves to receive the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make any sense. It's putting the cart before the horse. Do you see what I'm saying? You're like, if only I could get good enough, then I could have the Holy Spirit who would help me to be better. No, 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 no. Take the Holy Spirit so that He can give you the power to be better. Don't keep killing yourself trying to do it on your own. Because it's way hard. Way hard. The Holy Spirit will cleanse and transform us. When we understand that, we can seek the Spirit and receive the wonderful gift of the baptism by faith alone. Not by any works that we can do. Luke taught that we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit by faith. In Luke chapter 9, verse 11 through 15. And I'm going to read that verse for you a little bit later. Again, if you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are already qualified to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to become better than you are to deserve the gift the Lord has promised you. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It's beautiful. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Clay has imperfections. So do we. And God knows that. And He receives us as we are. And He will fill us with the Holy Spirit who will then enable us to change. See the step? We must recognize our need for His power. Many believers talk about needing more of God. And again, like I said last week, the issue for most of us is really that God needs more of you. Not that you need more of Him. He needs more of you. We need to submit. Submit all of ourselves, all of our will, all of our own selfish ambitions and make room for His fullness by surrendering every area of your life to Jesus' Lordship and invite Him to fill you with the Spirit to empower you to be able to live for Him. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why we talked about what we did last week. So that you could begin to get rid of that and make room for the Holy Spirit to come fill you. Get rid of those things that hold you back. Next, the gift is received by faith. That's how we get it. Jesus' disciples had to wait for God to pour out His Spirit as He promised through His prophet Joel. But when someone seeks the gift of the Spirit today, they do not have to wait in the same way that the disciples did. The Spirit's outpouring took place on the day of Pentecost once and for all. 
Now, when we seek His fulfillment and His full possession individually, it can come in a moment. When we seek, we don't have to worry about being tricked. We don't have to worry about having some false experience or that when we speak in tongues, it's just from our imagination. Isn't that a question you hear all the time? Well, how do I know it's God? How do I know it's not just me? How do I know it's not the devil? Really? How do you know it's not the devil? Okay. I'll tell you how you know. Think about this for me for a second. If the devil wanted to limit the power of Christians, and he made them want to try and wrestle through trying to live a life for Jesus Christ, and he wanted to bring division inside the church and split people up, what do you think he would cause more controversy than over this precious gift from Jesus? And is that not true? People split, they hate each other, they can't get along, they can't talk about things because you believe in this and I don't believe in this and it's not for me and it's of the devil. Really, you're going to try to attribute the gift of Jesus, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to the devil. That's scary, man. I mean, you're, you're walking on some thin lines. I mean, I remember reading in Scripture about a place being in the unforgivable sin when you attribute the works of the Holy Spirit to Beelzebub, to the devil. That's a scary place to be. This is not of the devil. And you don't have to worry about being tricked. If you begin to feel and sense the Spirit of God coming on you, it is real. And this is how I know. Because the Bible tells me so. Luke 11, 9-13 So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened to you. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I'm just a dad. Where's my baby girl? Is she still here? Maybe she went in the back room. Well, my kids, Josiah and Asher and Keenan, they're all over the place. And when they come to me and they ask me for something, if my son asks me for juice, juice, daddy, juice, am I going to give him cyanide? Am I going to trick him? You see what I'm saying? How can you honestly believe that if you go to your Father, if you go to Jesus and ask Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to give you the gift that He promised you, that He would give you something that is not real? and not true, and of the devil. It just doesn't make any sense, guys. Not according to the Word of God, which is our rule and our standard. Now the tense, uh, in the original language, the New Testament implies a continuous action. It means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and you will receive. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is a promise to every believer, and it is received by faith, by putting your trust in God. If people sincerely seek the Lord for what He has promised, God will give them what they ask for. 
Some seekers find it helpful to have other spirit-filled believers pray with them. Others are more comfortable seeking for it on their own. And guys, you don't have to do it here and now. Okay, do you understand me? Like, we're going to have a time when we get to the end here where we're just going to give you an opportunity to pray and seek God and receive this gift if you want it. But maybe you're not there. Maybe you're like, mm, I don't know. That means it was good. I get it. I'm just not sure. It's fine. You don't have to be here. And you don't have to have some pastor come up and put his hands on you and pray over you. You can ask God and you'll receive it. In fact, it's so cool, it even happened today. Come here. Come here. If you haven't met Quinn, Quinn is my buddy. And he is a giant in the spiritual world. Demons are starting to know your name and are starting to fear you, my friend. And this I only was... work for him, Josh. <laughs> awesome. Quinn came to Converge for the very first time on October 18th because a couple of girls decided to befriend him and say, hey, Quinn, we'd love to invite you to this group called Converge. He came, listened to one of our students share their faith about how God changed their life. And that evening, because of the belonging that you guys showed him, and he realized his need for Jesus. And he asked, he said, Josh, I need to accept Jesus, but I don't know how to do it. Can you help me, please? And I said, yes, I can. <laughs> I had to pray with Quinn to give his life to Jesus Christ. Immediately after that, we plugged him into a core group, Brandon and Richie, taking very good care of him the last several months, befriending him, hanging out with him, teaching him, training him, asking him questions. Got a Bible. He's been devouring it. He's been hungry for God. And November 29th, he did water baptism in the pool. If you were there, you saw a beautiful thing. As Quinn got down in the water and he gave, he publicly testified to everybody that I am not who I used to be. I'm different. I'm new. I'm changed. And began to get hungry began to want to know about this Holy Spirit and who He is and what He can do. And so, Quinn knew that we were going to be talking about this tonight. And he wanted to bone up. He wanted to get some research done and kind of look at some verses before I started talking about them. Because he's hungry that way. And so he says, I want to meet with you before we get together tonight. I said, alright. So we got together for coffee this morning at about 10.30. And we started talking about the Holy Spirit and what He is and how He can do and kind of just a quick mini version of this. And we got an answer and Quinn was ready. He's like, cool, I'm excited about tonight. Tonight's going to be great. And so we're walking back to my car. I'm going to give Quinn a ride back to his dorm as they usually do when we get together. And he goes, hey, before we get in the car, can we just pray? It's just such a beautiful day. I love spring. If you've been around Quinn long enough, you just know that he loves to pray all the time. <laughs> and so we, we just go over to the sidewalk right over by the gathering place, the Lutheran Student Ministry House. And Quinn just begins to pray. I'm just standing there. I'm agreeing with him. And he's just so thankful for God and the new life he begins to see. He's just praying for the springtime and for uh, just new life and how God has given him new life. And he just begins to thank God for the Holy Spirit. He just says, Lord, I just I thank you for the gift that you've given me to help me. To be bold when I'm scared. I pray for March 4th. I pray that students will come out. I pray I'll be able to share my faith with them. And I pray for your power. They come and just fill me. Fill me with your power, Jesus, so that I can be a witness for you. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness. And he's praying for it right now. And, and as he comes to a close, he just finishes and he begins to speak in tongues. And he's like, whoa. 
<laughs> and I was like, what was that? And he goes, I don't know. And I said, that was it. You just did it. You did it. It was that easy. You did it. I said, do it again. And he began to pray in the spirit and pray in tongues. It was that easy, that simple. When you're desperate for it, when you want it, when you ask, you will receive. It's that simple. And childlike faith to trust God to say, give it to me, Lord. He will answer you. It's that easy. And I'm so excited that my brother got this gift that the Father promised him and that he can continue to grow. Give him a hand. I'm proud of you. Thank you, buddy. Yes. You want to say something? Yeah. I wasn't sure. I told Josh I wanted to say something tonight. And I do. All I can think of, and I'm asking Jesus to speak to me tonight, is Jesus loves all of you. Yeah. No matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done in your past, it doesn't matter. Jesus will love you. Amen. And if you want the Holy Spirit, believe like little children. Believe. Where you don't need evidence. Evidence is awesome, but believe like little children. Amen. It is true. Awesome. God loves you guys. There is no doubt in my mind about it because I've seen miracles. Amen. Thanks, Quinn. Give my hand. Thanks, buddy. Pretty exciting from a man who said, I know I'm too scared to share my faith. He's already standing up in front of you and giving God glory and witness and testimony. So awesome. So guys, it can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to happen here. It can happen in your dorm room. It can happen in the shower. It can happen in your car. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. There's stories. I've seen and met and prayed with people. This all started a few years ago. Kim Russo came along. Started saying, I don't believe any of this mumbo-jumbo that you tell me about. I said, well, it's not mumbo-jumbo. It's in the Bible. She says, well, I don't believe you. I said, all right, well, if you give me two hours, I'll sit down with you and I'll show you all the places where it's in the Bible. So we sat down. She's like, all right, I'll take you up on that. We started looking at it, going through it. She's reading this and she's just going, whoa. Why don't people want this? I don't know. I don't know. I just don't get it. I said, well, I ain't going to pray for you, Kim, because, you know, I, I just want you to be able to do this on your own. You just go back to your room and pray and seek God on your own, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure you can do it. And she went back to her room, and she prayed, sought God, and bam, just like that, on her own. Then it happened to her friend Amanda. Last thing. He's following with me. The purposes of praying in the Spirit. Number one, confirmation. Speaking in tongues is the first outward sign of the Holy Spirit baptism. You can find this in Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, Acts 9, and Acts 8. And I don't have time to read through them all, so I'm just going to give you the general breakdown. Okay? Acts 2 we read, first day of Pentecost, where everybody got filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in other tongues, and testified about God's goodness. Acts 10 is a beautiful, beautiful story about a man named Cornelius who was a Roman centurion who had a vision and God asked him to invite Peter over to his house to tell him about God. And so Peter gets a vision and then and the vision is don't call things unclean that I've called clean. And so he has these guys show up at his door and he decides to go to his house and tell them about Jesus. 
He tells them about Jesus, Acts 10.44, and it says, as he's preaching to them, just like right now, as he's speaking to them, they begin to believe in their heart, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, and all of them in that room begin to speak in other tongues as the Lord enables them. Now, some people will tell me, they'll say, well, Josh, but see, it's got to be a language. Because in Acts 2, they were all talking in languages that other people knew and understand. And they were doing it so that other people could hear about God in their language. So, people who just speak in tongues and it doesn't make any sense, they're not really speaking in tongues because that's not a language. Well, let me tell you something. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's over 13,000 dialects of language in the world. How many are you familiar with? I mean, really. You know, like 10, 25 maybe, if you're really, really good. I wish, if there's any engineers in here, please create a box that I can speak into that can tell me what I'm speaking. Because I bet almost every time you would find out that that language is a real language, a real dialect somewhere in the world. But even if it's not, I don't have problems. And do you know why? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, follow the way of love. Well, that's 14. He's talking about love. In 13... He says, if I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but I have not love, I'm a resounding gong. I'm just a loud noisemaker. And the point that he's trying to make is, listen, it doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues or if you have all these great gifts or if you can do all these amazing things. If you don't love people, you're missing it. You're off the mark. And so, is that language real or not? I don't know. I've heard phenomenal stories about people who have uh, been praying in their prayer language and a woman walks in uh, who is a Tibetan missionary and she's listening to this man pray in tongues. And when it's over, she says, I don't know if you realize this, but you were just praying for a man in Tibet, in perfect Tibetan dialect. And he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's praying but Romans 8, 26 and 27 talks about how the Spirit, in our weakness, the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that are unknowable. Okay? You don't have to know what that means. And this is what I mean. He's talking about 1 Corinthians. If you want to jump over there real fast, and while you're going there, I'm going to finish what I was saying before. I, I, I am. I'm going as fast as I can. It's just that much stuff. Okay, listen. Here's the deal. So you got Acts 2, Acts 10. Acts 8 is about Philip. Philip goes to Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Philip's like, yes, I'm going to Samaria. Got Jerusalem covered, Judea, Samaria, here I come. He starts preaching the gospel. People get saved. And after they get saved, he has this incredible encounter with them. Uh, I'll read it to you real quick. Those who had... Uh, then scattered, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed Jesus Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in there in the world. Then it talks about Simon the sorcerer, and then it talks about Peter and John coming. And it says this, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them 
that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands, he offered them money. Now this is one of two places in Acts where it doesn't say they spoke in tongues. Okay? So there's five times where it talks about being filled with the Spirit. Three of those five times it says, and they spoke in other tongues. The other two times it doesn't say that, but it doesn't say something else happened either. And you, you can't take an argument of silence either for or against something. It's just kind of moot. But something happened because something so phenomenal happened that Simon the sorcerer was like, ooh, what was that thing? I'll give you money. Give me that gift. I want to learn that. I want to be able to put my hands on people and have something like that happen. That was cool. So I don't know what it was, but it was something that made him sit up and take notice. The next chapter, Acts 9, is Saul, when he becomes converted and becomes Paul, which we talked about earlier in the year. And when that happens, Ananias has a vision that he's supposed to go to Saul and pray for him to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Saul has already converted in his heart. He's already told God, I'm sorry, I will do what you say. What would you want me to do for you, God? And he's praying and fasting for three days. And Ananias shows up and he says, and he says, Brother Saul, God has called me here to pray for you that you can receive your sight and so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it does not say right there that Paul spoke in tongues. But we know that he does because in 1 Corinthians 14, like he's talking about, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. And I wish that every one of you would speak in tongues. So if Paul is saying, that it, so whether it's here or some other time, we know that Paul did. Paul did, all the apostles, Mary, everybody. People who were Jewish, people who were Gentiles, the Roman soldiers, the centurions, the last example, Acts 19. Paul is walking down a road in Ephesus and he sees these guys, these disciples. He says, hey, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? Acts 19, verse 1 through 6. And they said, no, we didn't even know there was the Holy Spirit. And he goes, well, what baptism did you receive? He said, we received John's baptism. He says, or Paul says, oh. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. You need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was also a water baptism. Okay? And the reason that there's a difference is because Paul, you know, some people say, well, there's not a second baptism because Paul says there's only one baptism. Yeah, because in Paul's mind and in Paul's theology, he didn't see the gift of the Holy Spirit as a baptism. He saw it as a gift. But Luke refers to it as a baptism. And so when Paul is preaching to these guys on, in Ephesus, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? He says, no. So they get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in water, and he lays hands on them, and he prays for them to receive the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues. And this is 20 years after the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's not just for them. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for them. It's for everybody. People are like, well, it's only, it was only for when the church got started. Really? Do you think that I have less need of power than the apostles did? 
I need it too. Probably worse than them. So, that's the confirmation. We see that it is a sign. Okay? Now, this is where it gets a little sticky. Okay? Track with me. I know you're getting tired, but you sit through three hours of class. Alright? It's just taking me a little longer. Now, listen close. It's a sign. It's a confirmation that it has happened. Now, some people will say, well, you can't definitively say that you will speak in tongues if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mmm. Truth. Okay. Because five times it says it, and only three it says they spoke in tongues, I guess you can make that case. But I will also argue that Paul spoke in tongues, that's number four, and something happened that was pretty phenomenal. Whatever that was. Okay? So for me, and my theology, and that doesn't have to be yours, I'm here to tell you that if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you will know that it has happened when you speak in tongues, based off what I see from the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 14 is the last thing we're going to look at. I'm going to skip the rest of my notes because it all kind of ties into this. Okay? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. This is Paul now. Paul wrote Corinthians. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. So this argument that it has to be a language that men understand is not necessarily true according to Paul. Because Paul is saying that when you speak in tongues, you're not speaking to men, but to God. Indeed, it says, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a flute or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can anyone who finds himself among those who did not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? 
that you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue. What does that mean? Listen, Paul is saying at the beginning of this chapter, the purpose of tongues is threefold. One, it's a sign to show you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has taken place and that you've received the fullness of the power of the Spirit in your life. Two, that gift of tongues is also a gift for you. It is a personal prayer language for you to be able to pray and spend time with God in your quiet time. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a great prayer warrior. Unlike Quinn, who can, for whatever reason, just continue to pray words and words and words and words and words, I can't. I just have a really difficult time. And when I have a burden on my heart for somebody or for something like March 4th, and I'm praying for March 4th, and I'm saying, God, I just pray you call everybody out and that they would be just blessed and filled and changed and, and just made new and just bless it and make them come and I run out of words, okay? I'm sorry. I'm just telling you the truth. The power of your prayer language is for you to be able to focus on what you're praying for and pray in the Spirit. And according to Romans, the Spirit makes intercession for you in, in your weakness to God with groanings that are unknowable. So when I am praying, I am praying. And when I can, when I can think of those words in English, I pray them in English. And when I can't, I pray in the Spirit and my mind stays focused on that thing. And then when the Spirit drops something else in my heart, oh yeah, that's a good thing to pray for. I pray for that thing in English. And then when I'm done, I pray some more in the Spirit until I feel the burden lift. Do you see what I'm saying? When I am weak, this power of the Spirit helps you overcome. When you're facing temptation, like looking at porn or doing something you shouldn't be doing, if you will stop and pray in the Spirit, your spirit will build up. It's like you fan into flame that power inside of you and it helps you to overcome. And you look at that thing and you, you say, no! It gives you the power to overcome. You cannot look at porn and pray in the Spirit at the same time. It's just not possible. You understand what I'm saying? If you will do it, if you'll build yourself up, it edifies you. That's what Paul said. Praying in the Spirit is not for men. It's for God. It edifies you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he's saying that is good. And he says, I wish that you all would pray in tongues. I pray in tongues more than you all. And that's his point. He's saying this is not something that you're supposed to be using in church. It's something that's supposed to be used every day of your life. Throughout your day, when you're walking down the street, when you're sitting in a class, when you're doing whatever, and you don't have to be obnoxious about it. You don't have to stand up on a chair or shout at the top of your lungs in some weird, ridiculous language that's going to make everybody freak out. I can pray in tongues under my breath. I don't have to make a big show. The problem is that there have been abuses in the church you were just trying to have your own little God moment. And you're just, Woo, I love Jesus, I worship you, you're saying you're speaking in tongues. And people are going, what in the world? Paul's talking about orderly worship. Three words, three prophetic prophecies, three words in tongues and interpretation. And you've got 15, 20 people all doing it at the same time. 
And nobody interprets it. No wonder they're mad. <laughs> right? And so I'm telling you, this is a gift for you to use and you should be so full of the Holy Spirit by speaking and praying in your prayer language throughout the week that when you get to church, you realize church is not about you. Paul is saying, when you come to church, I would rather that you speak five intelligible words that would help your neighbor than to be blaring out in tongues and causing everybody to go crazy. Use it on your own for you as a personal prayer language to edify yourself, to build yourself up, to pray when you don't know how, to overcome temptation. But in church, that's what he's talking about here. This is the distinction. When you're in church, it's better to help others, not you. You should be taking care of your business the rest of the week. So, shame on us and forgive us for those that have gone overboard and brought confusion because the truth of Scripture is very clear. This is available for everybody. Now somebody says, well, what about Romans or, or 1 Corinthians 12 where it says there's gifts for different people? That some are going to have gifts of knowledge, gifts of wisdom, gifts of miracles and powers and, and some are going to prophesy and some are going to speak in tongues and others are going to interpret in tongues. Yes, he's talking about the gift of prophecy in tongues. That in church... Sometimes when the worship's all good and quiet, you can really feel the Spirit moving. God is going to move on the heart of some people to prophesy out loud in English. And Paul says, that's great! That's the best! Because everybody understands that. But sometimes he's going to move on people to prophesy in tongues. And if he does, do you understand? And that doesn't happen for everybody. While you can pray in your prayer language, and God has given you that gift, He is not going to call everybody to stand up and prophesy in tongues and pray that it gets interpreted. So there's a distinction, and that's why I gave you this sheet. Right here, the five places where you can see the initial physical evidence, the breakdown. Tongues are manifested in different ways, privately and publicly. Privately, the audience is God. Publicly, the audience is the church. Privately, in relationship to the other gifts, it does not require an interpretation. When you're praying to God in your spirit language between you and Him, it doesn't have to be interpreted. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says you are uttering mysteries to God. You don't need to know. You won't know. But in church, it is required to be interpreted if it's a prophetic word. The purpose of privately praying in tongues? Self-edification, prayer and praise, building faith, Help in prayer. All these things and scriptures to follow. Publicly, the purpose of prophesying in tongues and then following with an interpretation is to edify, exhort, and console the church. You see the verses there. Finally, who receives? Privately, everybody can receive. Publicly, those that the Spirit wills. Does that make sense? Quick breakdown on how that all plays out. So, what I'm trying to tell you, friends, I know this is a huge topic, and I'm more than willing to sit down with anybody who wants to talk. Okay? Here's the thing. Some of you are new. You're new to Converge. You're hearing this, and you're like, whoa, like, I didn't sign up for this. I was just coming to have some food and meet some new people. <laughs> Listen. 
my heart and the heart of the students in this ministry is to let you know that you are loved. Loved by God and loved by us. And that you belong here no matter what. Whether you believe like us or not, you still belong here. And we want to get to know you. We want to be in relationship with you. We want to grow with you. Okay? No matter what. If you come here and you're like, I love these people and I like this stuff, but I don't believe that. That's okay. You do not have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. Okay? We're still on the same team. The fire inside of you is the same fire that's inside of somebody who's filled. It's the same thing. We're not enemies. We're on the same side. Okay? And if you don't want it, fine. Nobody's going to look down on you. That's your business. But it doesn't have to be. And that's my point. Is that I want to share with you the truth of Scripture that says this is available for you if you want it. If you don't want it, fine. You're still going to heaven. Okay? But it is something you can have to make your life easier in your journey with God. The point being, guys, is that this is a wonderful, beautiful gift for you. And you can have it if you want it. Now, it's a lot, it's a lot like, a, like a power tool, you know? Raking leaves is not hard, right? I mean, you just go... But raking leaves is hard work. I mean, you stand out there for hours doing the same thing, your back hurts, your arms hurt, whatever else. God has given us a task to do. And it's almost like Jesus is coming up to you and going, wow, that looks hard. Hey, I got this leaf blower for you. If you want it, it's yours. If you don't want it, you can keep doing what you're doing and you're still going to accomplish the same goal. I'm just trying to make it easier for you. You understand? Some people will say this, and this is what I close with. They look at me and they look at people who believe in this and who have received it, and they say, you think you're better than me. You think that you're a greater Christian or a better Christian than I am because you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You speak in tongues, and I don't. So you think you're better than I am. And I'm here to tell you guys from the bottom of my heart that is absolutely not true. And this is how I can prove it. A real person who has come to Jesus to ask Him to be filled with the Holy Spirit does not think that they are better than somebody else. If they do, they're asking with the wrong heart, and a lot of times, it's why they're having trouble receiving it. The truth of the matter is, is that I come to Jesus, and I say, God, I'm about to go into downtown inner city Chicago, and I am absolutely terrified. I am so scared. I don't know what to do. I really, really, really need your help. Would you please give me some help? Give me some power. You see, guys, it's saying, I know that I'm supposed to boldly share my faith with people on this campus, but I'm scared. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of what they're going to think. And God is saying, I want to give you power so that you're not afraid anymore. It's not me thinking that I'm better than you. I am admitting I don't know how to pray the way I should. I'm stuck 
and it's awful. I need help to pray through. So it's not just a three-minute prayer that the same words over and over again. I want to intercede on the behalf of people, but I can't. I don't know how. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift to give you power to pray through. It's saying, I'm weak and I fail and I keep getting beat over and over and over by the same addiction and I'm so sick and but I can't overcome. God, would you help me please? You see, it's not that I think that I'm better than you. It's that I realize I'm worse. I realize I can't do it without Him. When people want me to give up talking about my friend, the Holy Spirit, who walks with me and talks with me and guides me as the Spirit of Truth, my Comforter, my Counselor, the Guide that Jesus sent for me, His Spirit, because the Holy Spirit doesn't take glory for Himself. He constantly points it to Jesus. I can't. I need Him to help me follow Jesus. And if you think you can do it without Him... I would make the statement that maybe you think that you're better than me because I'll admit I'm weak and I can't do it without His help. And if God's offering gifts, I want them all. Everyone I can have. But you don't have to. And hear me, there's no condemnation in that. But what I want you to see and understand is please don't, think, don't say that I think I'm better than you. Because that's just not true. You and I are brothers together. We're on the same team and we have a big job to do. And however you want to do it, do it. But get it done. Get the task done of going and making disciples. And if God is offering this help, I'm going to take it. Whether you want to or not, I need it. And I think some of you are there. But I think some of you, this really hit a chord. Just like Quinn who said, man, I need this thing. And it's that simple. It's as simple as drawing near to Jesus, asking Him to fill you, and waiting for Him to do it. And as you begin to feel the Spirit welling up inside you, you're going to begin to hear in your heart, in your soul, sounds, words, phrases. And as the Spirit enables you to speak, you have to speak. The Holy Spirit is not some crazy lunatic that's going to reach into your mouth and shake your tongue all around. He's not rude like that. He's a gentleman. And though He will enable you to receive it, you still have to accept it. You still have to actually do the talking. You speak out of your own mouth. The illustration of a video I was going to show you at the end is of windmills. You've seen these windmills are all over Wisconsin. Giant wind turbines to create energy. Wind is a renewable energy that's constantly blowing. And the Spirit is very much like that. And when the wind blows, these turbines, they turn and they create energy and power. But when those turbines are locked down, it doesn't matter how hard the wind blows, that thing's not going to turn. And the truth is, is it doesn't matter how hard the Spirit of God blows on you, if you lock it down and refuse to receive it, you never will. But if you will open up and ask God to do it and accept it by faith, like Quinn did, and just receive it, and when you hear it, just speak what you hear. He'll meet you right there. 
And I can't describe it any better for you until you just experience it for yourself. Okay? So if there's any who want to stay, we're going to pray and there's going to be some music playing and you can get along with God. Do you need to do it here? No. You can go back to your room. You can do it on your own. If you don't want to do it at all, that's okay too. I just wanted you to know that there's a special gift that Jesus has for you besides salvation. It's power to help you live for Him. Take it or leave it. Cool? Alright. I love you so much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these incredible students. Thank you for their willingness to sit and listen and be challenged. God, there is so much truth and wisdom and knowledge in your scripture. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to do your work in the lives and the hearts of these students. God, there's only so much I can do. There's only so many words I can say. In the end, your spirit needs to convince them. And I pray, God, that as students wrestle with this, that they would come to see what your Bible says and that they will accept this free gift that you provided after salvation to help them live and share their faith with other people. God, watch over them. Protect them. Keep them safe throughout this next week. May they be bold in sharing their faith with their friends, inviting them to this March 4th event, to these other events that are coming up. God, may they live with genuine love in their heart for other people. May they make you proud. I thank you for them. And I pray that you would bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.